All right, thanks. <laughs> hey, uh, we're continuing uh, this week, uh, as we have been over the last few weeks, our series on First Peter. Um, next week is going to be our last week in this series, and then we're going to move on to some other things. But uh, let's get right into the Word this morning. If you've got your Bibles, uh, go ahead and pull them out to First Peter. We're going to be in chapter 3 this morning, and uh, we're going to read through our Scripture passage. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and pull them out. If not... It will be up on the screen for you. So let's pick it up here. Peter writes this. He says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if you do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, he says, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing that you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, I told you last week that I couldn't imagine a more unpopular topic than the one I was preaching on, right, which was submission uh, to authority. I lied, okay? This would be a more unpopular topic, Right, like this is one of those topics that just kind of, you know, should have a wit coming out of it, right? Because this thing is like a powder keg, right? I mean, it doesn't matter uh, what I say. Uh, there's a good chance that I may uh, get beaten around like a pinata. So I'm going to ask you this this morning. Please don't hate me, right? Because I'm just the mail carrier, all right? Don't hate me. Um, but I'm working, you know, my way through this book. We're kind of working through this. And this is something that we just can't skip. So let's talk about it this morning. You know, some people kind of look at this passage and they look at a passage like this in Scripture and they think to themselves, man, this is so outdated, right? This passage is backwards or, or things like we've moved beyond this, right, as a society and as a culture. But I'd encourage you this morning to start first just by considering this. What does it mean for Jesus to be Lord, Right, for Jesus to be Lord means that we don't follow him because on each issue he makes sense. Right, or, or, or because, you know, we immediately agree with something that Jesus teaches because a lot of times it doesn't make sense, right? And a lot of times we don't immediately agree with it. In fact, sometimes it actually rubs us the wrong way. But here's the deal is that we follow Jesus, right, because he is Lord. And we follow him because his word is sovereign in our lives. Now, if you're the kind of person that has to be convinced, right, about each and every issue before you'll obey, I'd suggest that you really don't understand the lordship of Jesus Christ, right? A lot of people feign love and, and respect for Scripture, but you can see that they don't, right, because their attitude towards passages like this one. Now, a lot of people will, will hear this, and what they'll do is they'll run out and they'll find someone who will explain away that what, you know, what Peter says here. Or says like, you know, that Peter didn't really mean to say what Peter said. But see, Romans chapter 1 calls that the suppression of truth. And we don't want to do that. Having moving beyond this, even this morning, I'd encourage you this. Think about what a mess marriages are in right now. Right? The divorce rate 
is at an all-time high. More and more people, when we look at the statistics, are avoiding marriage altogether. 41% of children are born out of wedlock and into single-parent homes. You know, it seems like a lot of people that, that, that I talk to that are married, right, their marriages are not what they thought it would be, right? Their marriages have just kind of settled into a situation where you have two roommates living two separate lives under one roof, right? That's not what you dreamed about when you were approaching marriage. And so maybe, maybe we shouldn't brush this off so quickly, right, as if we've matured past it. You say, well, yeah, but... I mean, this passage that we're reading, it's going back into like these, these old kind of like chauvinistic patriarchy, right? Truth of the matter is, most of you have never really seen this lived out in the way I believe that we're going to explain it to you today in the way that Peter meant it. Kind of reminds me of what G.K. Chesterton used to say. He said, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. Rather, it has been found difficult and left untried. And so I'm asking you this morning that you at least hear me out as we go through this passage together. So let's go ahead back and let's look at verse one again here. Peter's writing this. He says, likewise, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Now that word likewise, right? Let's take a look at that. What does that mean? Basically, likewise means in the same way, right? If you remember here, Peter has been talking about various relationships. He's been talking about earthly institutions that God has set up, right? We talked about government last week and authority structures and all of that. And we see that through that, God has two purposes for those things, right? The first purpose is to reveal himself, and then the other purpose is to keep order. And likewise, in the same way, marriage is an earthly institution that God has set up to reveal himself, right, and to provide stability. And for both those reasons, God gave man a leadership role to play in the home. I want you to understand this morning and I think this is very important as we go through this passage that we need to understand this. That this passage has nothing to do with women being inferior, right? There's no hint of that in this passage anywhere. In fact, it's downright denied, right? Because Peter says to the husbands in verse 7, he says, your wives are heirs with you of the grace of life, right? The promises and the privileges of salvation are equal, which means that men and women are equal, now, when God talks about the creation, very beginning of male and female, right? He says he created them both, male and female, in the image of God. They're both made in God's image. So there's absolutely no hint anywhere of inferiority. And you say, well, what about that line in that passage that we just read, right, that talks about women being the weaker vessel? Doesn't that in some way imply inferiority? No, that's not what it means. I'm going to show you that in just a minute. You say, yeah, but... But if the husband is given the leadership role, then that implies that he's superior. Listen, as I've pointed out to you before, right, think about this. In the Trinity, right, even in the Trinity, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, there is submission. Right, when you look at the Trinity, the Trinity is one God existing in three persons. But Jesus makes clear in Scripture right, that he was submitted to the Father. Now, it's not like the Father was more God than Jesus was because that would be impossible, right? They were equal in essence, but the Son, Jesus, submitted himself to the Father. So we look at the Trinity, we see that the Trinity, right, is equal in essence, but it's different in role. And it's the same with marriage, right? God ordained, remember, marriage to what? Reveal himself, and we see that men and women do that through different ways. 
And when you mess with that, what you're doing is you're messing with how God intends for us to learn some things about himself. So don't say that, that, that submission makes you inferior, right? Because that would actually be what we call a Christological heresy, right? You would be saying because of that, like that Jesus is inferior to the Father by virtue of the fact that he is submissive to the Father. Now, there's also a practical dimension to this, right? It's how God intends to keep order. It's kind of like, if you think about it this way, you're on the highway, right? You've got two cars that are kind of merging into one lane. But what you need to know is you've got to know who has the right of way because if you don't know who has the right of way, what's going to happen? You're going to have a car accident, right? See, there's a pattern that God set so that men and women could live together in peace and in harmony. Now, that doesn't mean, by the way, that in this passage, it's not saying that women are not to lead in the workplace or government or society or any of that. That's not what this passage is talking about. The passage doesn't say that women to be subject to men, right? So this passage has to do with the home. So I just want to clarify that. You say, well, you're the guy that I'm married to. Maybe, maybe you're a wife in here. You say, the guy that I'm married to, you know, he, he doesn't deserve my submission. You don't, you don't know who I'm married to, right? You don't know what this guy is like. That's not the point, right? He may not deserve it, but Jesus does, right? It's not, what about, it's not about what your husband deserves. It's about what Jesus commands. Your husband may not deserve your submission, but Jesus does. Now, on a point of clarity here and clarification we're not talking here about abusive situations right because God would not expect anyone to live in a situation like that so I just want to be clear on that this morning a few weeks ago I showed you that Peter talked about our life being spiritual sacrifices and so you think of your submission to your husband as an offering to Jesus but before we get any further in this, let's, let's look at the instructions, right? We talked about the wives here for a second. Let's talk about the, the instructions that Peter actually gives to husbands now, right? Peter says, verse 7, he says, Give honor to the wife as the weaker vessel. Now that's a difficult phrase, right? The word weaker there. Difficult phrase. It doesn't mean that, that women are weaker in, in intelligence or even capacities for leadership or, or wisdom. That's not what this passage is saying. Right, when, you, when you read through the commentaries and different commentators, you kind of come up with three things as to the interpretation of this passage. And first is this, is that they're literally physically weaker. Right? The word vessel is used all throughout the Bible to refer to the human body. It's generally speaking, right, most husbands can overpower their wives. Now, I've seen a few of you girls that I think could give your husbands a run for their money. But generally speaking, right, men are physically more powerful than their wives. Second thing that you, that you find is that they're weaker in their position of authority, right? Peter's just spent six verses explaining that the wives should be subject to their husbands. And so positionally, women are in a weaker position. And then finally, the last kind of interpretation that the commentators talk about is that it could mean weaker in terms of the way that women are wired emotionally, right? Women are much more sensitive than men. I don't think there'd be much disagreement about this. Hebrew scholars even say that you see this, right, this difference in how God described the original creation of man and, and, and woman, right? We've got two different words that are used. And for men, we've got the word bara, right? But then when we look at women, we see a word that's used that means that, that, that women were kind of crafted, right? I kind of think of it as like the difference between maybe like a Jeep and a Ferrari, right? Think about this, a Jeep, what do you do with a Jeep? You take it off road, you beat it up, you kind of get it dirty, who cares, right? You kind of, kind of like it that way. But then you've got the Ferrari, 
right? Now, if you had a Ferrari, you don't take this thing off-roading, right? This Ferrari, this vehicle, compared to a Jeep, is very well-crafted, right? You look at the vehicle, it's got, it's got nice lines, it's designed very well. You just kind of want to look at it, admire it, right? That's reality, right? Girls are designed differently than guys. And so Peter says to the husband, he says, as the weaker vessel, you, as the husband, must honor her. Right? Honor means to prefer her. Now, as a side note here in this context, this is a different Greek word than the one in 1 Peter chapter 2 where he talks about honoring the government. Right? Honor here, the word that Peter uses, means to prioritize, to use your position of strength, right? To, you know, any position of authority that you have, you're using that to serve her, not yourself. Just like Christ did for you. And the cool thing is, is that both of you, as husband and wife, are to preach the gospel to the world and how you relate to each other, right? The wife and how she submits, and the husband and how he serves. So you put that all together, here's what this means, and I'm going to give you a few examples. Men, right? Men, you need to get this. You should never lead independent of your wife. Right, men, we weren't given this role because we make better decisions. Right, for many men, right, you don't make better decisions. It's just the truth. Some of your wives are better with money. Right, maybe you get this, you know, unexpected bonus and you think immediately of, you know, buying a couple new pieces to add to your deer head collection, Joe, or whatever, you know, or, or golf clubs or whatever. But your wife was given to you as a gift by God to help you keep you from your own stupidity. And if you don't avail yourself of that, right, you're a fool. I consult with my wife about everything, right? It's rare that we're ever not able to, to talk about it, to pray about it, to come to a consensus about it. And if not, what we do is we usually postpone the decision. Something to note here, guys. Men, husbands, you're never told to demand submission from your wife, ever. The wife may be told to submit, Right? But the husband is never to demand it. Submission is hers to give, not yours to demand. Second thing, men. We're supposed to use our position of authority to serve her, not yourselves. Right? Use that position of authority to serve her, not yourselves. And we can't come to an agreement. I have to decide, right, in my family, is this a time where I have to think of the best interests of the family? If not, I'm to honor and to serve her and prefer her. Right, let's talk about a few examples. Date night, right? We can't decide where to go to eat. Happens a lot in my house, right? She wants Italian. I want steak. This is a very easy decision, right? To honor her, we have Italian, right? She wins. Picking colors of furniture out in our house or the rooms that we're painting. There we go. I honor her. She wins, right? You've got $300 extra in our budget one month. She wants a new dress. You want new golf clubs. We can't get both. Easy, right? We honor her. She wins. See, some of us guys... Right, you assert yourselves in all the wrong ones, right? Where you serve yourself. You're totally absent from the, from the ones where you should be protecting your family. See, what we need to get this morning is that spiritual leadership is not a license to do what you want to do, but empowerment to do what you ought to do. Right, guys, listen. I should lead in, a, in, in such a way that her submission to me is a blessing. Right, here's another one. Husband believes that they're, they're called to the, to the mission field, right? But the wife doesn't, doesn't want to go, right? What do we do? We, we talk about it extensively. Maybe she has valid reasons, right? We give it a time to come to consensus. 
But to the wife, listen, after you, you, you make your reasons known, at the end of the day, right, that's the kind of arena where you become subject to him. And you say, well, well, but what if I disagree with that decision, right? What if I don't think that that's what we should do? Submission implies disagreement, right? It's not submission if there's always agreement. How about this one? Maybe you need a new car, right? The husband wants a truck. The girl wants a gas saver. The husband th- says, you know, hey, I think we can afford it, right? It, it, it's useful. Plus, I just don't like driving around in little golf carts. It's just not what I like to do. But as the wife, right, you think, hey, a truck is not useful, And the care that you really care about is you want to save money on gas. What do you do, right? Well, you talk it out thoroughly. Husband, right, maybe you're just not being smart about this decision. Maybe just being crazy about it. Wife, maybe your security is in the money and maybe you should recognize that maybe he feels like a pansy whipping around town in this little, like, car and it's kind of selfish that you insist that he drives one, right? But let's say for a moment you can't reach an agreement. What do you do? Again, wife, you, you make your reasons known, Husband, right? It's your role to listen to your wife, to listen to her as a gift from God, and to honor her. And then, wife, at the end of the day, you have to trust him in his judgment, no matter what the decision is car, mission, field, whatever. And some of you are like, oh my goodness. Like, my husband is just so irresponsible. He'll wreck everything, right? Listen, here's what you have to do you have to let him answer to God. Tony Evans, he's a great preacher and an author. If you ever listen to him, spiritual, he says spiritual leadership is God telling the woman to duck so that he could punch the man, right? We are responsible to God as men. We have to answer to God. Now here's the thing. A lot of men don't lead because they've never been put in a position to lead. Right? A lot of times they've had overprotective moms who've made decisions for them, so they were never forced to act like men. And then they get married to a girl who kind of just takes over that role. Now, I'm not saying it was your fault, but what you need to do is you need to create a vacuum of leadership and you need to force him to grow up, right? When my wife does this, right, what it does is it puts so much pressure on me. She says, well, well, this is what I think, but Rick, you need to make the decision because see, here's the thing is that I have to answer to God, right? It forces me to think like a, like a man. I can't hide in the group where no one is responsible. I've got to own it. All of it kind of sits on my head, See, submission, submission is not about what women can and can't do, but about what men are called to do and don't. Let's look at two more verses here real quick. Pick it up in verse 3 with Peter. He says, don't let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Peter talks here about two kinds of beauty, right? You've got external, right? That kind of consists of, you know, the kind of clothing and and makeup, and this is like the world's beauty. But then Peter goes on and he talks about another kind of beauty, right? The beauty that kind of, that that comes from Christ-likeness. He uses the word gentle, right? Gentle is a word that's used in the Gospels to describe Christ. You know, I look at my wife, and my wife, I believe, to me, is still uh, physically beautiful, Right, I look at her, she, she, she's beautiful, but she's also had three children. And I look at her sometimes and I think, man, here's a woman who has given her life and her body to, to serve our family, right? To serve me. 
that is a Christ-like beauty that exudes out of her even as she ages, right? I mean, she's more beautiful now, I tell her all the time, than the day that I married her, right? Because there's this Christ-likeness, this imperishable beauty that continues to grow in her, right? Some of the most beautiful women are older women. It just exudes from them. And this is great, right? Because do you see what's happening here? Do you see what Peter has done, right? He's applied the doctrine of the resurrection even to your physical beauty. You know, sometimes Christians have a hard time really thinking about how the resurrection fits into Christianity, right? We get the cross. Jesus died for our forgiveness. But the resurrection, like we only talk about it once a year or so at Easter, and it kind of proves that Jesus told the truth. But if you remember me saying, right, Peter builds this whole letter upon the resurrection. And what Peter wants you to do is he wants you to see everything through it. Even your physical beauty. Right, because of the resurrection, right, you've got this this imperishable beauty growing in you that exudes from within you and will go on forever. Right, so that you don't need to build your, 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 your identity and your hope on a firm body. So let's talk about the effects of this. All right, let's talk about the effects. There are three results when you live this way. First one is this. Men, when you honor your wives, we see in verse 7, it says your prayers are not hindered. That's a pretty drastic statement, right? It's a pretty drastic straight statement that, that your prayers are hindered because you're out of fellowship with your wife. And the idea is this, right? When you approach God in prayer, presumably it's because you need something. And prayer is like this, you know, from a position of, of powerlessness, well, men, listen, if, if you've used your position of power in your marriage to serve yourself and not serve your wife, why do you think that God would use his position of power to serve you? Right? See, the gospel is about God, right, who is strong, using his position to serve the weak. And so those who believe in the gospel should become like the gospel, which means that we show the change by using our position of power to serve the weak. See, if you're always using your position of power to serve yourself, how can you claim to know Christ? How can you claim to know Christ who used the ultimate position of power to do what? To serve you. And so, men, I want to challenge you. If you've been praying to God, maybe you've got some real deep prayers going on there. You've been praying to God and He has not been answering your prayers. Here's what I want to challenge you today, men, if you're man enough to do it. I want you to ask your wife, why your prayers are being hindered. And then go ahead and pull out a pen and a, and a pad and just get ready to write it down. Right, why isn't God answering my prayers? Number two, you're unable to live together. Now this little phrase caught my attention, right? Live together. I explained it earlier that so many marriages are just kind of roommate situations, right? Where you're just living two separate lives. Maybe you never see each other, whatever that looks like. But it's because you don't put this into practice. Right, maybe this morning you could kind of look at the, the poor state of your marriage and admit that maybe, just maybe, God's ways are the best. Right, humble yourself under this. Pursue God's path of blessing. Again, G.K. Chesterton, he says, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. See, if you live this way, you'd start to experience God's blessing in your marriage. And then finally, we see that you preach the gospel to a cynical world. We touched on this a little bit earlier. Right, both the husband and wife preach the gospel to a cynical world through their marriage. The wife and how she submits and the, the husband and how he honors her and serves her. Do you remember we talked about this, I think it was last week, 
how Peter explained the most convincing sermons in the world are not the ones in which we, we prove that we're right, but the ones in how we suffer with joy and grace. And see, it's the same idea here. Right? The most powerful thing that we have is beauty and grace. Our marriages ought to be among the most convincing apologetics for our cynical world. Right? We think that the way to convince the world of Christianity is through powerful arguments, right? Awesome church shows, right? Lots of lights and pyrotechnics and all of that. But God says the most powerful argument will be the beauty of Christ on display in how you love and how you serve. Right? Grace and generosity have a power in it that it's unbelievable. Right? Through the power of the resurrection. You know, ladies, sometimes you think that the way to change your spouse is by nagging him, beating him down, right, until he conforms, until he changes. I want you to look at what it says in verse 1. It says, when you submit, for Jesus' sake, Peter says, your husbands will be one without a word. just want you to think about that. As we close this morning, here's my challenge for both of you. Wives. Wives, I want you to ask your husbands today what you could do, right? What, what, what can you do in your marriage, in your relationship to each other that would preach a sermon about the generosity of the gospel to your husband? And husbands, I want you to do the same this morning, right? Ask your wives, what could I do for you? What could I do in our marriage relationship today? that would preach a sermon about the generosity of the gospel to you. That's my challenge this morning. I want you to bow your heads with me.